0: This is Performance Delivered, Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success Podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how to build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. Today, we're going to talk about growing a business organically. Here to speak with me about the topic is Eric Benholz, who is the founder and creative director of Beardbrand, a bootstrap men's grooming company based in Texas. Beardbrand has been able to grow organically through its massive community of followers on YouTube, Instagram, and their blog. The growth comes from a brand-focused approach to business with everything tying back to the mission to make men look and feel awesome. Today, we're going to continue our conversation with Eric Bandholz about how to grow a brand organically. Welcome back, Eric.
1: Hey Hey, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this.
0: <laughs> um, last time we talked a lot about um, how to set up a company, the challenges of hiring people, how to find, you know, the best business partners. What I want to focus on today is really how did you get started to market the company, market the products with limited financial availability. So, Eric, as I said, the business is bootstrapped, and usually money is tight in that situation. What was your approach in the beginning to market your company and the products?
1: Yeah, in those early days, uh, definitely uh, money was really tight. In fact, uh, just to give a little more insight, you know, me and Lindsay and Jeremy, none of us were uh, pulling any any distributions out of the business. So, any money that we made would go right back into the business in terms of, you know, more ads or product inventory and things like that. So those early days, it's all about staying lean. And, and for us, it meant like having other sources of income so that we could invest in beard brand. But when you don't have any money, you've got to figure out ways to, to spread your word organically, really. I mean, organically is going to be your, your best solution. So the things that we were focused on in the early days were Reddit, they were YouTube, they were Tumblr, And they were really kind of like having a good story and and getting some uh, PR on various uh, websites. And we would try to ride that uh, as much as possible. So you you try to find the the tallest mountain and shout the loudest you can so that you can um, land on on the most amount of years. But really, that strategy is going to be a terrible strategy if if you have a, a product and a business that has the most boring and bland story you know if you're you're not doing something new or innovative or different it's going to be a really hard way to build a business one of the things that i picked up recently from a copyright course was actually you need to have what's called a in the old days they used the term gimmick and it's really um, a way to to sell your your product or service in a way that no one's ever thought about something before. So the great example is of this book that's like how to outsource your life, uh, live profitably, you know, work less and, and live this great life. Have you heard of that book? Chances are you've never heard of this book. But the content and the message that it was selling was essentially the exact same as four-hour week. And the idea that you could work for four hours and then live this great life, this digital nomad life. This book by Tim Ferriss, of course, blew up. Everyone's heard of it. And the four-hour a week—that was the quote-unquote gimmick. That was the thing that really kind of you know caught people's attention. And what is it about your business that you can do that has that hook to your business? And I think for us in those early days, our hook was the urban beardsman. You know, no one had ever heard this term before, and it was a way to quickly describe to. Um, our target audience, who we were serving, and what kind of value we provided, and, and how we were going to bring value to their lives.
0: So, when you said you know you did activities on Reddit, YouTube, and Tumblr, that sounds to me like you early on started to, to create and engage with with a specific community. In this case, obviously, the guys that, that, that like to have beards and, and they look for how to. Take care of them and, and and keep them healthy, good looking, and all those kind of things. That to me sounds like this is more kind of a mid-term towards long-term marketing approach. Would you agree? And if if that's so, what did you do to get people in right in that moment? So from a short-term perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, really, like if you can bring value to your audience lives, then if it's the right kind of value, the the return is instantly. So on Reddit I would I would simply just be posting photographs of myself and maybe you know, it's a community. So they'd ask like how long are you growing or how do you get your beard like that? And it's like, okay, well I'm I'm using beard oil and that's why it's it's shiny and it looks nice. And you can grab it at beardbrand.com and, and have your beard look like that too or creating a a YouTube video on like, here's how you grow your beard. Here's how you deal with the itchy phase. Here's how you deal with, you know, uh, ingrown hairs. Here's how you deal with like the waviness of your beard. Here's how you style it. All this information you provide to your audience and you show them how to really like fix their issues. um, They're going to reward you. They're going to say, all right, man, I, I, I like this guy. I trust this guy. He gave me good information. And then I went and I did it and it worked, you know, and now my beard looks better and now I feel better. I want to tell my friends about it. And word of mouth is a, a great way to grow a business in those early days by really serving your customers. So, you know, I was fortunate in the sense that I was, you know, really the, the target audience, you know, so I could be the person on camera and I could be the guy taking photos of myself and I could be the guy interacting with others on Reddit. But let's say, you know, I was selling a bra business and, you know, like I don't have boobs. Like, my, <laughs> if that's not my business, then you've got to like, you've got to think creatively. How can you do that if you're trying to push a product that, that you yourself are not the target audience? is a lot more difficult. So, not everyone's going to have a business where you as the founder or the owner are the customer. So, leveraging other people. Is going to be the way to go. So, we also did a little bit of that. We would reach out to influencers, send them the products and, and interact with them and explain to them what, what our mission was about. And by having a mission and, and standing for so much more than just like, oh, we want to make products and make money, then they're more likely to, to help you out. So, you can reach out to other, you know, when you're a small business and you, you're making, uh, let's say, like $100 a month or something, a couple hundred dollars a month then reach out to other small influencers you know people who have like 3000 followers or 5000 followers give them free product they talk about it and they're going to be able to generate a couple sales and and you you kind of like connect with other like sized people you know it's like still to this day like beard brand can't reach out to lebron you know like we, we just don't have the the budget for lebron james and you know in fact like i'm sure if lebron pitched our product, we may not be able to to stay in stock. You know, he may sell out of of all of our products. So it makes sense for us as a mid market company to try to reach out to other mid market influencers and stars, kind of like B list celebrities or whatever who still have influence. And that's what you're going to be doing as a bootstrap company is connect with those other influencers, those other publications, those other podcasters who are at a similar level to you. And then as you grow, you, you connect with with people who are similar sizes as well
0: when you engage with a community or when you create a community for your brand, um, that obviously is just blood sweat and tears at the end of the day. It doesn't really require anyone to to put you know a credit card down and and, and pay a google or, or or pay a Facebook. The limitation there is just how much time can you can you actually towards doing those activities. Did you look at what the return of those activities are and, and how did you measure the success other than just, you know, sales?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in those early days, I kind of like to say like you have time or money. And when you have more time than money, then you've got to be doing the, the time intensive things. But when you have less time and more money, then, then obviously you do the things where you can put money into it. You know, for us, there are, like, you could, uh, for instance, like, we've created our own online community using the software called Discourse. Like, it's 100 bucks a month or something. So you may have, like, a little bit of outlays to to create your community. But um, in theory, if you, you can't afford 100 bucks a month, then you probably shouldn't be starting, starting a business. You should probably wait until you have a, a few more resources.
0: Let's talk about, you know, at, at some point, you... We start with um, the organic side, right? Reddit, YouTube, Tumblr probably took um, content or, or transcribed content from, from YouTube videos and, and created blog posts. When did you start to expand into paid media activities? And, and how did you make the decision that now was the right time to increase um, spend, for example, on Facebook or Google or, or any other platform that you considered?
1: Yeah. uh, Well, first of all, let me answer your previous question to to how did we know this was successful. We did a a post-purchase survey that asked, how did you first hear about us? And it was about 65% of our customers first heard about us through our YouTube channel. So even though YouTube was driving a very small percentage of direct traffic into sales, it was making up a huge amount of, of business from that top of funnel perspective. Now, like we said earlier, whenever we had more resources, we put it into the business. So that meant for us, we we try to do paid. I think for us, the first things that we really invested in were Google AdWords. Um, that's a really bottom of the funnel thing that you should should set up and engage. That's where you're going to be able to, to drive the most amount of sales. And then we kind of had like a love-hate relationship with Facebook as, you know, we'd have success in it. And then all of a sudden that success would be completely eroded. I don't know if it was just by new competitors or something like that, but we were no longer making money on it. And then we would cut it or kill it. And then, you know, we would try it again because everyone's, everyone and their mom was talking about how they're making millions of dollars on Facebook. And, you know, I'm over here blowing my brains out trying to figure out how to do that. So uh, Facebook was kind of like a love-hate relationship in the early days. What we also invested a lot of money in early on was PR, and I, I'm a big believer, especially for an e-commerce business, that you need to have good SEO. And PR is is more than just like the awareness you're bringing in the marketplace through those PR efforts, but it's also a great SEO play to be able to generate links back to your website. So by putting a lot of energy and effort. And with a uh, PR firm early on, I feel like we were able to, to kind of carve out a little bit of a niche uh, with our SEO rankings. And that was also uh, a big boost to our growth in those early days.
0: Nowadays, what's the, what's the split between paid media and, and, and more organic focused media uh, activities that you guys do? Do you still do more on organic side or is it more level paid organic?
1: Yeah, man, I, I I did a tweet about this, man, it's probably been about six months, but I took a, a screenshot in Google Analytics of our revenue by channel. And we have like, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful pie charts you could ever imagine because it's like twenty percent of our business is by email, twenty percent is through direct traffic, twenty percent is through organic search, twenty percent is through social media. Uh, marketing, and then like twenty percent is through like other revenue sources. So it's like a very diverse type of um, well, it's a really diverse funnel and channel that we have that that gives us a lot more stability in our business. Perhaps it's it's why we grow a little bit slower than we could be growing. But if something ever happens with you know YouTube or Facebook or any of our paid channels, then we still have other channels to fall back on and kind of maintain a, a more level business.
0: You know, at some point, your lower funnel is kind of exhausted, and then you have to go into the mid-final and into the upper funnel. How, how do you identify new solutions? Um, you mentioned that early on you did influencer marketing, which probably was ahead of a lot of people because influencer marketing today is, is, is a topic everyone talks about and everyone wants to do it, if they have the money to do it. How do you identify additional channels that, that can help you bring new people into the funnel and therefore bring them to the point of conversion?
1: Yeah, man, it's it's really hard. You know, like seven years into the business, six years into the business, it's still something we haven't mastered and we're still trying to learn. Like, how can we uh, bring in new channels? The reality is, as you get more established and your, your business starts to level out, and, you have a little more predictability in your business. Then what you need to do is you need to allocate a portion of your your budget towards new initiatives. So, for instance, we just tried this new uh, channel called uh, well, it's really like email marketing, but in the sense that we're able to to buy ads on email newsletters that go out like CNN does an email blast and then they have ads in that that newsletter, and then we're buying a spot in there. So the company that does that is is called, there's a couple of companies out there, but but we went with a company called Live Intent, and we just tried this, uh, we're we're still in the testing phase, so we're still seeing if it's working or not, but you go in, you try it, you see if it works, you see if you can modify it and tweak it, uh, get it to perform a little bit better, And then um, hopefully it works and then you scale it up and you grow it. Uh, There's there's an unlimited amount of options for you to market your company. You know, you can do podcast marketing, you can do radio marketing, you can do TV marketing, you can do online video, you can do Facebook, you can do Snapchat, you can do Twitter, you can do uh, direct mail, you know, like send out catalogs, you can do guerrilla marketing, you can pay college kids to go out give samples or flyers about your your company. You can do telemarketing. You can do email marketing. I mean, there's there's no shortage of ways to market your company. And what I encourage people to do is think about what are your skill sets? What do you like doing? Are you a more outgoing and engaging person? Then maybe it makes sense that you should create your own YouTube channel. Or are you a more data-driven person? If that's the case, then you should probably look into creating ads on Facebook and Amazon and, and the various platforms because you can utilize that data to optimize it. So really dive down into to your own passions and find the channels that align with those passions because that you're going to have the energy to, to want to solve those problems. Whereas I'm not a data-driven guy. So if I start getting into the data for for you know what this audience is doing and what the conversion rates are, what the click-through, I'm going to want to blow my brains out. And that's not a sustainable way to build a business. But if it's creating engaging content on YouTube, man, I love that stuff. So I could do that all day long. And that's why I've gravitated towards various parts of, of our business and, and really creating the things that, that we enjoy creating. So as you mentioned, you know, there are a lot of
0: things companies can do in order to get people to their website to sell products. But those solutions, they are lower funnel, mid funnel, upper funnel activities. And I think at the end of the day, they all boil down to one thing. Are you able to make money from that media activity, either directly or indirectly? Because you know, an upper funnel activity might drive people down the funnel that later on buy the product through paid search. What's, what's your approach to attribution when it comes to that and to ensure that, that you know, the mid-upper funnel activities that you test, uh, you are able to judge whether they add to the bottom line?
1: Honestly, I, I'm probably not the best guy to answer this question because it's not something that, that we've really done well. That being said, like, as a bootstrapped company, scalability, or excuse me, sustainability is something that is vital to our business. So subsequently, when we look at paid marketing efforts, it's crucial to us to to really see a positive return on ad spend. And we do it with pretty conservative numbers like a 7-day click window on Facebook or even like just last click model as well. So we we try to have like also, you know, like at least a 2x return on ad spend. So if those things aren't aren't driving success, then we, we usually lean back to our organic channels as an investment. Because if you get paid wrong, you can really burn through a lot of capital and, and not see that funnel fill up and, and see the results of, of all those efforts. And and we've blown a lot of money on projects that, that weren't successful and and luckily because you know we look at it as a test market with a clear end date that it, it didn't end up just Know, driving a, a stick through the heart of the business.
0: That makes sense. I want to focus on on three areas that you mentioned throughout uh, the conversation today. YouTube, influencer marketing, and email marketing. You said early on you, did, uh, you recorded videos and, and shared them on YouTube in which you basically talked about topics that people with beard would find interesting. From 2012 when you started to now, how has YouTube marketing for you changed? What have you done in the beginning that you no longer did? What are the learnings that you now implement to get better results?
1: Yeah, I mean, YouTube's changing all the time. In fact, uh, we're in the midst of a pretty big algorithm change that's that's really affected our channel. Uh, for those who don't know, our, our channel, we've, we've grown to over a million subscribers. Uh, and I think we have like 1,100 videos now so far youtube shifted the the strategy from a bunch of content to more relevant content to your subscribers so because of that we're making some pretty dramatic shifts to our channel to see if we're going to be able to create content that's more in line with with what youtube is rewarding so you have to be in the loop you have to go to conferences you have to talk to other industry people And figure out what's going on. You have to be invested in it. You know, subsequently, we never made like Facebook organic or really even Instagram organic a a primary strategy for us. So I know we're doing things wrong, quote unquote, wrong. And those in that same kind of engagement that we get in Facebook, excuse me, that we get in YouTube. So we've Mm -hmm. we've always put YouTube as our, our primary organic channel. And, and subsequently, we've invested to, to stay in the loop with what's going on so that we can make those adjustments.
0: So then on the influencer side, I mean, as I said earlier, from my perspective, influencer marketing has really lit up over the last two, three years. Early on when you did it, I would probably say it was, was a very niche marketing solution. What is different now than it was back six, seven years ago? And how can companies... Uh, Take advantage of influencer marketing, even with a limited amount of budget.
1: Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, you know, influencer marketing always exists. Probably one of the the most well known influencers is Michael Jordan, right? I mean, that's essentially what he was. Um, What's happened is with social media, you're able to get these micro influencers. So it's no longer just limited to the LeBron James and Michael Jordans of the world, but you can get these really niche influencers who have influence within their their own social sphere or social um, world I guess their little sphere as a I would say like six years ago like Instagram was this hot new thing where everyone was joining kind of Facebook was the same so there's a lot of it was almost like a, a gold rush of seeing who is going to be the ones who got established and who are going to be the big players and you know if you you timed it you're really going to be able to grow quickly and I think it to a certain degree, there's still opportunity for that, but you really have to be doing remarkable things to get noticed on Instagram and, and on YouTube and, and on Facebook. So it's kind of gotten a, a little more mature in the marketplace, and there's a little more established players. As a business, you're always going to have opportunities in like new niches and, and emerging niches that like the larger players haven't quite seen the opportunities in. Um, and those same niches probably aren't going to have like the same requirements for paying for influencers. So you might be able to get away with just simply giving out products in exchange for a shout out or exchange for user generated content, and then you're able to use that user generated content to to give social proof to uh, to your audience on on whether or not uh, the product's any good. So it, we've always aired towards not wanting to lean on other people, going back to our core values of freedom. Uh, so subsequently, we've invested in becoming our own influencers, and we made it a big deal to, to build out our own channel so that we could have that influence to our audience. So when I think of influencer marketing, I think of it as like, almost like an incestuous type of influencer marketing that that gives us a lot of control and and power. But at the same time, it it gives you a lot of limitations in that you may not be able to scale it. As quickly, where you may not be able to kind of grow beyond uh, that super niche that that is your followers. Which, as we've grown into like hair care products and and skincare products, becomes a little more of a challenge for us because so many of our customers know us for beard care and the beard space that you know they may not be willing or, or excited about following us for hair care and, and uh, skincare stuff.
0: But on the other hand, I guess, you know, they're used to your brand. They know your brand. They know your brand values. They trust you. Shouldn't it be easier to expand your product line out of the, you know, beard category into a you know, more wider male grooming category?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I uh, That's that's what we think so. And, and we've got a lot of products that are successful. But, you know, our, our beard care products are still our, our best-selling products. So... Uh, they're kind of like our, our core products and then like our, our styling products for your hair and your beard, uh, kind of fall in after that. And then like hair care products. So I think that's the case with every business. You're going to have like your, your core winners, and then you're going to have those that have potential and, and maybe you haven't seen it yet, or, or, uh, those that maybe aren't the, the exact perfect hit for your audience and you, you need to bring in new audience members.
0: So one area of marketing, I believe, for e-commerce businesses that is really important is email marketing. Whether you want to re-engage with people that vend in cards, or whether you want to you know, send a confirmation about a um, product that's sent out, you want to get people to re-buy products or to buy more product from you. You mentioned earlier, I think, that email marketing and all the other marketing activities are on about 20% on, on the business. Are there any specific things you do from an email marketing perspective to re-engage with people, to get people to buy in the first place?
1: Oh, yeah, man. We're, we're big believers in in email and we've set up uh, a ton of, of campaigns for our customers. If you go to our website right now, you'll notice that we have like a, a quiz on the homepage. And uh, part of that quiz... Uh, is that we're trying to to grab email addresses so that we can um, get people into our flow. So we have a pre-purchase flow, which is essentially like a boot camp, and we give them a rundown on on how to to groom your beard, how to groom your hair, how to groom your body, take care of your body. And it's a really robust uh, like ten email flow that brings a lot of value to our our customers' lives. And then. In addition to that, we'll, we'll do kind of like news, like, you know, email blasts to our entire audience. And then we'll also do a lot of segmentation. So if they've ordered from us like two or three times, then they'll be able to get access to our private community for free, uh, which is a normally uh, $90 value. So we, we we have flows like that. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have flows that based on the product they ordered, we know the reorder rates. Uh, for the products you know so let's say a a beard oil is going to last on average three months then what we'll do is we'll send out an email you know like um, 10 days shy of three months and tell them hey you're probably getting low on your beard oil why don't you go ahead and place that order so you run out of it and then uh, we also know like from a statistical standpoint where you know most people will use it by you know some people will go through it and three months. Some people will go through it in six months, let's say. So by that six month one, if they haven't reordered, we send out another message that's like, hey, you have a place to reorder. We have 100% happiness guarantee. Something didn't go right. We want to fix it and make sure that that you're coming back so we can really solve all the problems that, that they may have had with our products and make sure that they're they're totally happy uh, with their experience at Beard Brand in In the first episode we
0: recorded, you talked about the importance of obviously customer satisfaction. You just mentioned part of your email sequences is engaging with with people that bought before and making sure that they really liked the product that what they got was what they were looking for. Have those activities led to a higher average rebuy rate on your end?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, from from the research that I've seen, Of our return rate versus other people in the industry, in the beauty industry or grooming industry, we have a higher than average reorder rate, whether or not that's simply from our email marketing efforts, or if it's because we've got a better product than everyone else, or because of like our customer service is great, I would imagine it's probably a little bit of all three of them. I think the, the biggest issue that a lot of entrepreneurs out there, especially a lot of early entrepreneurs have out there, is being afraid of, of really sending too many emails to your customers. And the way I like to look at it is like, think of, for for all the people listening right now, think of the thing that you love most in life. Let's say, let's say it's the TV show, Game of Thrones. Let's say you love Game of Thrones Now, wouldn't it be really awesome if Game of Thrones was on every single week of the year? You would absolutely watch every single episode if you're a total fan. Now, assume that your customers are total fans of you. They want to receive as much content from you as possible. So it's almost your responsibility and your duty to produce content for them that is engaging and gets them excited and brings value to their lives. So don't be afraid to send emails every day or every few days to engage with them, give them news, give them updates, and keep them in the loop.
0: The last question I have for you, Eric, is what's your view on building a market team in-house versus using external capabilities?
1: Yeah, in the early days, we, again, we were bootstrapped. We were pretty lean. So we decided what is the thing that we can do better than everyone else? Whatever that was, we would do it in-house. And then anything that we want to be the best in the market at, we would work with outside partners. So subsequently, we've outsourced our fulfillment center. We've outsourced you know, our PR efforts. We outsource our Facebook uh, ad management. We outsource our Google ad management. But like our brand, our creative, we keep that in-house. Our customer service, we keep that in-house. You know, Our operations, we keep that in-house. So it's really like, what are the things that you can do best? keep it in-house and what are things that other people can do better than you uh, work with them
0: outside. That's a, that's a great point. Eric, thank you for joining me on the performance of podcast and sharing your knowledge about how to grow business organically. Um, If people want to find out more about you and be brand, how can they find out about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, really the the Best thing that any of y'all doing, a uh, guy or a girl, is go ahead and just treat yourself to some products at Beard Brand, Buy something, and you'll see what the experience is like. You'll not only will you get amazing products for yourself, but you'll also see like how we send out orders. You'll see how uh, our email flows are, and you'll be able to to learn a lot from that process. Of course, at Beardbrand.com, and then I'm the only Eric Banholtz around. So if you just Google me. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Hit me up on Twitter. I'd be happy to help answer any questions that you have or provide expertise. I love talking business. So uh, don't be afraid to, to just tweet at me.
0: Great. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the performance of the podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at SymphonicDigital.com.